Miracy. And so I did have to kind of wrestle. And when I looked at it, I could really see that the clients that were not getting the results were the ones that I had to own up to the fact that I was in my judgment engine far too often with them. Hello, and welcome to Just Between Coaches, the podcast that tackles difficult coaching conversations head on. My name is Melinda Cohen, and I run a business called The Coaches Console. The Coaches Console has supported more than 50,000 entrepreneurs in creating their own profitable coaching businesses. On this podcast, we explore difficult issues that you might be having with your clients, and we also dive into difficult conversations that you might need to have with yourself. Today, my guest, executive coach Marissa Murray, and I are going to explore the latter. We're going to talk about how you can manage your own judgment. Yes, of course, no coach wants to admit to having judgment of their clients, but we're human and it can happen. So the question is, can you prevent it? And if your judgment engine does rev up, what can you do to stop it? Also, this might surprise you. Marissa says that judgment can be even more of an issue for coaches who have been practicing for a long time. Marissa Murray is a leadership development expert and the CEO of Leaderly International, an organization dedicated to helping executives become better leaders. She's the author of two Amazon best-selling leadership development books, Work Smart and Iterate, as well as co-author of the USA Today bestseller, The Younger Self Letters. Welcome, Marissa. Thank you so much. Happy to be here. I'm so excited to have you here. Now, you and I work with a lot of the same people at Miracy, but we've never actually met. So let's start with your background. What brought you to executive coaching? Sure, absolutely. So I came to executive coaching pretty late, actually, after a 20-year career. I was an engineer by training. So I worked in process engineering, product engineering, manufacturing did my MBA and moved into kind of management positions. I was a management consultant for over 15 years. I left Accenture as a client partner focused on the aerospace, supply chain, and technology practices. And so I came to coaching after that experience. It's funny, the first 20 years of my career, I guess, I was very much focused on process efficiency. And then at some point, I started to realize that Optimizing processes is one thing, but optimizing people is like this whole other challenge. And I became fascinated by leadership in general. So at Leaderly, we focus on three pillars of leadership, leading self, leading others, and leading change. So I'm fascinated by all things uh, leadership. I've been running this uh, company now for seven years, and I have the greatest time helping people on their journey to their best leader, because I believe your journey to your best leader is your journey to your best life. Okay. So many things about that. First of all, that you are another process efficiency geek and lover because I am the queen of processes <laughs> and efficiencies. And I just, I love that because it really, like you said, it helps everybody to show up as their best self and congratulations on seven years in doing this. That's amazing. So let's start with the concept of the judgment engine. Because when we were preparing for this, it's a phrase that I've read and been reading about. So what is the judgment engine? And did you coin that phrase? 
So I'm not sure if I'm the only one to coin the phrase. I think I have to give credit to Shirzad Shamin's book, Positive Intelligence, was a big influence of mine. And actually, I studied with him later. And he was the one that introduced me to the idea of the judge living in my head. He has in his book, 10 Saboteur Voices that we all kind of have. And the book invites you to explore them. And one of them is called The Judge. And so I began sort of paying attention to what might have been my little judge voice. But then I discovered something that was beyond, you know, my judge having an opinion or my judge's voice. And that's where I I sort of felt like it was actually kind of an engine because it wasn't just a voice that I would hear or a judgmental thought that I would have. It was almost like this embodying experience that would take off on me. And it would shift not just the way I was thinking, but my instincts and my ability to really stay in what we talk about in coach training as coach position. You know, that place where you are open, you're creating a safe environment, you're listening, you're non-judgmental. And what happens, simply put, is when my judgment engine fires, I cannot hold coach position. It's kind of gone. Yeah, that just goes right out the door. So let's get a picture of this. What does judgment look like in that coaching context? How can a coach recognize that they're in judgment? Yeah. So maybe I'll just tell you a little story. So I was coaching this C-suite leader and uh, we had an eight-month mandate. So I interviewed his boss and a number of his peers and some direct reports. And I got a lot of really great feedback about how this you know person was amazing at delivering results for the company. But I also heard a lot of really strong feedback about how people really had trouble trusting him, how he was quite aggressive in some of his communications. So some pretty harsh criticisms, right, from his colleagues. And even some things as simple as like, he often would write emails that his colleagues would refer to as command and reprimand. He would be like, this is unacceptable, or I'm surprised that I'm only hearing about this now. So there was a bit of accusation in them and then kind of a command and a reprimand kind of energy about them. And so we started working together and I taught him something that I teach in my TED Talk and in my second book, Appreciate Align Men. It's like a little triple A formula and you can use it for writing emails. So I taught him this little tactic and he practiced it for a couple of weeks. Every first sentence, he had to start the first email sentence with, I appreciate something. You know, I appreciate you forwarding this to me or I appreciate you bringing this to my attention. And then a second sentence had to be about alignment. So I align with the approach you've taken so far. And then I would let him add, right? Augment. So then he would add something like, make sure to include Tom on my team because he has some great input. And he followed this to a T, like almost like a science project. And he was all excited when he would come to our coaching session and talked about how he really felt like his relationships was changing and all kinds of cool things were happening. And then about six weeks later, he stopped doing it. And I knew this because his boss was so excited. He was like, what have you done to him? He's so amazing. His emails are amazing. So then when he stopped doing his boss started forwarding emails to me and giving me examples. And a lot of them were awful. They were a disaster. And so during our coaching session, I said like, hey, what's going on? And he really started to be like, I'm very stressed and this is just too hard for me and I have to be efficient. And, you know, he started to kind of really get into this energy around this is unchangeable for me. Plus, I don't even know that I buy into it. And I felt it in that moment. I felt this shift of 
all the stuff around like, is he coachable? I was in my head in accuse, command, and reprimand almost. Exactly the same thing I was trying to get him to stop doing just in that moment. So that's kind of what the engine engine looks like. It's when you just feel this flip where you begin to emulate maybe the very thing that you are trying to correct a client on or help a client with. So I love that response tactic. And I just want to make sure I got it. Did you say appreciate, align, and then amend? Or I think the other word that you used was augment? Yeah, augment. I love that as a framework to help stay out of judgment mode, even for him, not just not talking about you, but talking about the client in this particular story. So that's a powerful framework, even that we can use as coaches when we're interacting with our clients to help us stay out of that judgment mode. Now, when we slip into judgment mode, right? So I heard you talk about, you know, we get into our head, maybe we're in accusing mode, we're not listening, we're not present, we're emulating the very things that we're trying to coach around or correct. And when we are in that place, what's the harm or the damage that can occur if a coach is feeling judgment towards a client? Yeah. So obviously the primary problem is that we're not going to be effective at helping them. And that's a huge deal because we go into coaching, almost all of us, I think, to help people. So when our judgment engine takes off, we're not going to be able to help. and we start to think we know the answer. We start to feel superior. All of these kind of ugly characteristics start showing up. And actually, I listened to one of your episodes. It was a great episode on shooting on ourselves or <laughs> do we should on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And, and for me, this is exactly it. When we start to have judgment, we are starting to should on our client, right? We start to kind of push through a whole bunch of things they should be doing or not doing. And we start to make a lot of assumptions around the underlying reasons that they're not making progress. And so for me, it's the equivalent of like shooting on your client. It's going to take you out of the power of coaching, which is all around discovery. And we really do need to kind of stay in discovery and discernment of what is going on to really discover what is really going on as opposed to judgment. So it's just, it's kind of sabotaging our effectiveness. And it can really damage rapport and trust with the client. That's one of the biggest things I see, that word right there, the trust. When, when a coach gets triggered, when I get triggered, whatever that might be, and I start <laughs> shooting all over the clients, or I'm pointing my finger, or I'm talking to instead of coaching with the client. Now they're like, wait a minute, this is not a safe space. I thought this was a safe space. So it starts to question the container that they're in and even the trust between us. It's like, wait, now you're like everybody else in my world. I thought I could count on you for supporting me in a different way. It doesn't let them off the hook, but I think that can also be a negative ripple effect if we're not uh, hyper aware as coaches about the impact of judgment. Absolutely. Now it sounds like. This is something that gets triggered in a coach, right? Like as we're going through in your story, you were doing a great job holding space, or as you call it, being in that coach position. And then all of a sudden that switch got flipped. So what kinds of situations can you see triggering judgment? Yeah. So some of the common things that 
really simple things is the client might repeatedly not be meeting their commitments to themselves or others or to you. So that can kind of start to flicker it a bit or the client begins to really doubt themselves. And I find that doubting is contagious. So my client's self-doubt can trigger some doubt in me if I'm not really careful. And that's a form of judgment, right? I'm judging their capability and their resources. Sometimes it's when they're they're just, it feels like they might be sabotaging themselves or they're certainly not acting in their own best interest. So even that can be kind of a judgment that can distract us from discovery and exploration. So those are kind of the things that we start to judge maybe their actions, but we can also be judging them as individuals, we might think they're not easy to work with. You know, they might not be showing up or we will judge that they're not taking coaching seriously. We might actually question their honesty. So it can be all kinds of different judgments around the actions they're taking or not taking and judgments around their integrity. Basically, I know that it's my judgment engine if I start thinking that there's something wrong with them uh, or certainly if I'm thinking they're not coachable or even if I'm starting to think I'm not the right coach for them. Uh, All of those things sort of make me realize that I'm out of discovery. I'm into concluding. I love that. I'm out of discovery. I'm into concluding. And so those are all good indicators that you, not you, you, but any of us uh, have been triggered by judgment. Now, What I do know about you is you don't think of yourself as a judgmental person, but it's like you said earlier, it's like the switch that gets flipped, right? Mm -hmm. Do you have to have a kind of reckoning with yourself, you know, to admit that you were being judgmental? It's not usually an easy thing to admit. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, at the beginning of my practice, like many clients, I had so much patience for my client and I was so grateful for the journey and I was so thrilled for every change that they made. And then as I ha- got, you know, a couple more a couple years in and had more senior clients and much more challenging transformations and I was hungry, I had tasted what transformation with clients can feel like, then sometimes I found that like when a mandate was not a slam dunk, right? When a client might have a marginal growth experience as opposed to an extraordinary growth experience, I found that I would sometimes gravitate to kind of a convenient answer that many other coaches may be tempted by. And that is, maybe I'm just not the right coach for them, or maybe they're not my ideal client, right? You know, there's another great episode that you guys did around um, uh, how to fire a client. And there's some really great advice in that around how to know. But what was interesting when I looked back and sort of said, where are the clients where I'm questioning whether I'm the right coach for them? The correlation that I saw was that they were getting less results in part because I was judging them more. And I had to really look hard at myself and say, sort of the chicken or the egg question, right? Are they not really leaning into this because I'm not making them feel safe enough? Or am I part of the cause of not being able to get their results? And so I did have to kind of wrestle. And when I looked at it, I could really see that the clients that were not getting the results were the ones that I had to own up to the fact that I was in my judgment engine far too often with them. Okay. That's a powerful exercise that any of us coaches, we should be doing, I don't know, yearly, quarterly, 
like really checking in and seeing how are we showing up across the board with our clients and noticing those patterns. That's very, very powerful. And so for the coaches that are listening, you know, obviously the best approach is to stop the judgment engine from firing up at all. But is it possible to stay out of judgment? Do you have any suggestions for preventing it? I'm sort of anchored around these three absolute truths that I try to really anchor in and around that I find help. So the first is I cannot know everything that is going on with them. So my judgment engine depends on me thinking I know what's going on. When I sort of remind myself, I cannot know everything that is going on, it sort of slows my judgment engine because it goes, oh, maybe we don't know what's going on. (laughs) So that's the first absolute truth. And it's true. I can't know everything that is going on with them. The second is, you know, there's always a positive intention behind this client's actions. So if I'm judging their actions, I force myself to say there is definitely a positive intention. Now, if I cannot see what that is, then that's an area of discovery to see like, what is the positive intention behind these behaviors? Like in the example I talked about earlier, the positive intention when my client was very sharp and aggressive on his emails was he was extremely results driven and he believed that that was the fastest way to get results. So he had a positive intention, but for me to alter that, uh, that action, I was going to need to find a new way or convince him that that positive intention was fantastic but there were better tactics to honor that intention. And then the third absolute truth is that when people are not being their greatest self in the moment, that doesn't mean that they're not being their greatest self in another context. So there's somewhere in their life where they are not doing the behavior or whatever they're exhibiting. And there's so much more wisdom in where they are not doing it, like i.e. where they're doing this well, where they're really taking you know, all the right steps and being their highest self, there is somewhere where this person is doing this thing amazing. And my job is to help them discover that. So I find that if I kind of play around with these three truths, I can find a way to hold the judgment engine at bay. I love that. So let's say that there's a coach that's in session with a client. And that judgment engine has started. What can a coach do? Is it truly just remembering these three absolute truths that you've just talked about? Like, what can they do at that point to slow it down or stop it at all? Like, would I write these down as a coach, have them taped to my desk so that should I realize the judgment engine is going, I can just look down and be like, oh, yeah, let me remember those. Is that how you would handle it? Or are there other things that you do as a coach? No, the taping is fantastic. In fact, I had some of these truths stuck to my computer forever. I, on a routine basis, have stickers on my computers to remind me of things. So these ones were up there for a (laughs) long time. Um, So yeah, having a visual cue is definitely really great. You know, it's all about awareness, right? One of the frameworks I talk about in Work Smart, I talk about opportunity orientation, right? Which is the practice of just seeing the positive or the opportunity in everything. And what I discovered is that when we're seeing the opportunity or the opportunity for an opportunity, right? right? So we're not concluding, we're not judging. We are sort of in this energy of having faith and trust. And when we are in judgment, we're often from an energy of fear or protection. And so sometimes in a coaching session, 
I try to monitor like, am I in faith here or am I in fear? Because fear will accelerate the judgment engine and faith will slow it down. Fear is what makes us want to control others and assert ourselves. And faith is where we trust others and we trust the process and we trust the unfolding. And the cool thing about trust is that the judgment engine trusts no one. It only listens to itself. (laughs) (laughs) So I think you can kind of create these visual clues or a little bit of a mantra or a little bit of an anchor around how you're going to hold space. I remember for one very, very difficult client that I was working with at one point where I, you know, it was difficult for me, right, to hold coach position. I would light a candle and have that candle represent faith in her. And I would just have the candle burning during our coaching session. And whenever I would kind of feel like I was going to snuff that candle out, I would look at that flame, that beautiful flame. It's a beautiful vanilla candle. And I would just sort of stay in faith, right? Stay in faith. This is unfolding and trust the journey. I love that you have not just the visual, but there's also the tangible. I know for me, I've got just this polished rose quartz stone, I think is pretty and it sits on my desk, but it fits inside the palm of my hand. And often when I'm on a conversation, uh, on a coaching call or any kind of conversation, I will just hold that as a tangible object to keep me present in the moment. But I love that there's the mantra that you can think, the visual, the the candle, the whatever it is to stay present and top of mind. Now, let's go to the other end. Let's say that you haven't caught the judgment engine in time and that train has left the station and you (laughs) never even realized you were feeling judgmental until after the conversation or the session is over. Like what can the coach do at that point? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, the saving grace about coaching is that it's very rarely one conversation, right? We get more than one crack at the can. I work with my clients for typically between six and nine months. And so no one conversation is sufficient to completely derail. So when you do realize that and you realize that, you know, the conversation didn't unfold the way you would have liked, I mean, what I recommend is see if you can notice where, in my vernacular, where your dungeon engine flipped the switch, right? Try to locate exactly where it happened and then disregard everything from that moment. <laughs> like that from then on, it is no longer... It's manufacturing suffering to watch it. And there's no insight in it, right? There's really no insight (laughs) in it. But if you look at what led up to it, right? What did you forget to explore? Or what positive intention did you miss? What kind of insights you can draw from kind of what happened? And oftentimes I will see that, you know, there was a nugget or a hint or something that they shared that I probably could have discovered. And sometimes that, that's just the learning, right? Or I'll make a note to talk about it at the next coaching session. But sometimes I will actually just think about it and then I'll record a little audio or video for them and send it to them. Just sort of saying, hey, I was reflecting after our call. You've mentioned this little thing. I think that's amazing. And here's my thoughts on that. And I may just sort of elaborate on an insight that perhaps I didn't get a chance to share. And I won't do that every time. Sometimes I'll just make a note and just try to deepen my awareness and do better the next time. But sometimes I will kind of reach out and share a little bit of extra support and cheerleading if I feel like I wasn't my best self in the last call. 
I love that. One of the things that I do is I have what I call the do-over. I will ask my client for a do-over. I use this with my spouse too, by the way, or any conversation now that I think about it. But when I realize that this happens, a lot of times it's on the next call, but if it's a dramatic enough situation that I'm like, ooh, I need to really address this right away, I'll do it immediately. But I will literally say to my client, you know, I was reflecting on our conversation last time. I'd like to ask for a do-over. I realized I was not showing up as the best coach that you needed in that moment. I'd like to have a do-over. I haven't had to use it a whole lot, but I have used it. And I've never had a client that was like, no, I'm not giving you that. They've always been like, oh my gosh, of course. And then it's another chance to explore that conversation. One of my values is transparency. I think it's our superpower. I think it's really our red cape as the superheroes that we are. And a transparency tool that I will use in a session is the phrase, what I'm noticing is. And when I notice that I'm not being present, or as you say, the judgment engine is happening, or I'm having certain thoughts about whatever is going on in the coaching conversation, I'll say, you know, let me, let me just reflect this. What I'm noticing is, and then I fill in the blank to help keep me in that exploring conversation and also to kind of test Is this true for the client or is it not true for the client? And so I love that phrase, what I'm noticing is, and then fill in the blank. Yeah, beautiful. And the other thing that you said that you've heard some of our episodes, so you've probably heard me say this a number of times, I truly believe that every coach should be working with a coach. I just think you can't be in any more in integrity than that right there as we're going to be coaches. And so this is also a great thing to take to your coach in your own coaching session to say, hey, I had this situation. You know, you can keep the confidential information confidential and you can share the scenario and your part in it, but definitely take it to your coach and work with your coach on that so that you're always improving your skills and ability to hold space for your clients. Absolutely. Now, you talk about the judgment engine, which I love that phrase, and you also talk about the discernment engine. Can you say more about that and what's the difference between those two things? Yeah, absolutely. The way I think about it is discernment is applying the analytical mind, but it comes from the word discovery. So discernment for me is different than a judge. Discernment is You're using your fact-finding mind. You're using your intuition to be curious, to gather information, but you stop at hypothesis. You have a hypothesis maybe of what's happening, but you're bringing that hypothesis to the client. Just like you said, what I'm noticing is, and you're asking for them to verify, right? You're asking for them to conclude, for them to decide, because ultimately the only one that's allowed to be the judge in the conversation is the client. They're the ones that know. They're the ones that decide. Right. Now, during the prep for this interview, you said that judgment is actually something that can afflict established coaches more often than newer coaches. That might surprise some of our listeners. I know it kind of had me perk up a little bit. What's that about? (laughs) Well, you know, you think you master these things and then you you move on, right? But experience is, as a coach, is, is a bit of a mixed blessing. On the one hand, you know, you develop so many tools and instincts and you've got such a rich experience as a coach. But on the other hand, you develop a very strong in parallel pattern recognition skill set. Our brain, I always think of it as kind of like a pattern recognition machine. And then what it does is it automates our reaction. So as soon as it sees a pattern, it thinks, it thinks, oh, that's the same pattern. Okay, let's react this way, right? 
And so when we're listening as coaches to a brand new client in a new context, in a new moment of time, there are times that they sound so similar to situations that we've experienced with other clients that our brain actually skips a step and doesn't even ask us, right? It just fires the pattern and moves us into kind of concluding without any consent. And so the brain basically says, I've seen this before and X equals Y, right? And so as a new coach who hasn't seen this so many times, they don't actually have those patterns kind of anchored in. And so they're naturally curious and they stay in discovery. And I find that as more experienced coaches, it's really important to keep remembering that you can't know what's going on here, even as similar as it may look to a pattern you've seen before. This is a fresh new person in a new moment in time. And so that's why I think it's actually harder sometimes for experienced coaches to really keep that fresh discovery, stay at hypothesis level, because we kind of think we have proof from hundreds of other coaching experiences. I love that. It's so important and so very true. Now, Marissa, do you have any other tips for coaches to either recognize or short circuit that judgment engine? You were talking about a superpower being transparency, and I love that. And I think another superpower is compassion. So I love the word compassion because it's from the Latin compassion, which means with passion, which means that we're able to be with intense emotions, but not necessarily be triggered by intense emotions, right? And so when you're in deep compassion and you're just with your client, you're not trying to judge yourself. You're not trying to judge them. You're not even trying to judge the circumstances. You're just in deep compassion. I think that that's where you can really hold that non-judgmental space and you will help them find the perfect path. So just leaning into deep compassion suffocates the judgment engine because it has no fuel. I love that. That is, I'm, I'm going to take that gem with me. That was beautiful. Thank you for, for getting that one in there. So let's summarize a few things that we've talked about today because we have covered quite a bit of ground. So first of all, the judgment engine. It's not just that voice that lives in our head, but it actually propels us. It changes our thoughts, our instincts, our actions, and it takes us out of that holding space or that coach position. And Marissa talked about how to recognize when we're in that place of judgment, where we're in our head or not listening, or as we've said in other episodes, shooting all over our clients or making assumptions. And really to prevent it, she gave us three powerful truths that we can remember as coaches. I cannot know everything that's going on with them or always having that positive intention behind the client's actions, finding and locating that. And remember that when they're not being their greatest self, it doesn't mean that that's happening everywhere in their world. And it just helps us to hold that space for our clients. And when we can't remember to do that, to use the transparency tool of what I'm noticing is or to go back and analyze review your sessions and locate what happened and maybe send them a message or like I shared, ask for a do-over. And then maybe most importantly, before any session starts, we remember the superpower of compassion to be with our clients in their intense emotions and not be triggered by them. Marissa, any parting words that you might want to add? Yeah. So I love your summary. And the other thing that I might share is the payoff. So what I found is the more work I did 
in sort of taming my judgment engine and continue to do, the more I can just really enjoy people more. People in my life and my husband, my kids, my extended family, my friends, you know, our judgment engine is really a barrier to our connection. And so as I worked with this deeply for my coaching practice, I just found such it to be such a perk in my personal life and, and just my life in general. And then I guess if I added another thing, another reason for it is the more you starve your judgment engine as you relate to others in the world, the more your judgment engine stops judging you. And so my, mm-hmm. I, my judge is so much weaker and is so much kinder to me which like literally, I think I'm 10 times happier than I used to be. So I wish that for everyone that's listening. There is really a benefit when we can kind of tame this monster. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of Just Between Coaches. And also a big thank you to Marissa Murray for this fascinating and amazing and important conversation. You can find out more about her at www.leaderly.com. That's Leaderly, L-E-A-D-E-R-L-E-Y.com. You can also check out her TEDx talk on YouTube, Success Without Stress, The Interactive Leader. Marissa, thank you for coming to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. I'm Melinda Cohen, and you've been listening to Just Between Coaches. Just Between Coaches is part of the Mirror CFM network, which also includes Course Lab, Making It, and Once Upon a Business. This episode was produced and scripted by Cynthia Lamb. Mishi Lance assembled the episode, and Danny Eni is our executive producer. If you don't want to miss future episodes, please subscribe to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. And if you like the show, please leave us a starred review. It's the best way to help us get these ideas to more people. And if you have a question for Just Between Coaches, put the show title in the subject line and send it to podcasts at miracy.com. That's podcasts, plural, at miracy, M-I-R-A-S-E-E.com. And so the tailor, having gathered together the beautiful scraps, began to sew. He stitched and he sewed and he sewed and he stitched. And by the morning time, he had made himself a beautiful coat. Now, when he wore his coat into the market, everyone admired it so much that the tailor decided to wear the new coat everywhere. And that's what he did. He wore it and wore it and wore it until it was all worn out. Or was it? In each episode of Once Upon a Business, Lisa shares a fairy folk or traditional tale and then extracts rich business lessons that are applicable for entrepreneurs, coaches, and course creators. Stories always take us on a journey from one place to the next. Sometimes this journey is literal, sometimes it's metaphorical, but always we find ourselves transformed. This story, The Tailor's Coat, originating from Europe, 
takes us through a literal transformation of the pieces of cloth and yet somehow teaches a powerful lesson. It does speak to a common entrepreneurial journey. Many of us start out working for someone else and give them everything we've got. Perhaps the tailor finally deciding to make something for himself is similar to the entrepreneurial desire to begin to create a business for ourselves. We take the scraps, the skills that we've developed, the experience that we've gained, and we launch our own business. I think it's an incredibly important skill for an entrepreneur, for anybody running a business, to be able to know that creating something out of nothing is always possible. And it's often the way forward because it's out of the scraps of what's been done before. It's out of almost the missing pieces that are not quite there that we can actually bring our creativity and bring our determination and bring our vision to create something really wonderful, really brand new and really beautiful. And then we can walk around the town with it. You know, we can be proud, we can step out and we can wear it until it's almost worn out, but not quite. To hear more of Lisa's stories and learn the deep lessons they carry, make sure you subscribe to Once Upon a Business wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you every other week with a brand new episode.